This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. All right, well, welcome back to Tell Me This. This is episode 13. I can't believe we're already in the third episode of 2021. And I am super excited to have back on the podcast, of course, Brianne, my co-host, but then also Lisa Cerise is joining us. And I can't believe, Lisa, that you are a second year doctoral student. When I was prepping for the the, uh, the the episode, I just feel like it just goes by so quickly. Like last year, I feel like Brianne and I were just talking to you about being that first year doc student. So welcome. <laughs> Great to be back. Thank you. Yeah. So on this episode, we are going to continue our conversation about belonging, connection, and healing through the pandemic. And again, um, Lisa is really here primarily for her professional experience and also her research endeavors and interests. She is a wellness educator, and her current research is in mind, brain, health, and exercise neuroscience, Um, and definitely that expertise will inform much of our conversation, and it also just so happens that Brianne has done a lot of work with her dissertation research and with her own students at Loyola on graduate student stress, and so I think uh, Brianne will have lots of insights. I'm really here to ask lots of questions and to listen and learn, so I'm looking forward to hearing from my colleagues. Um, So today's episode might feel a little bit different um, in that we're doing a sort of a mix of conversation, book club, research translation. Um, It's what what we typically do in this space, but with just a little twist. Um, Doctors Emily Nagowski and Amelia Nagowski appeared on Brene Brown's podcast. And I believe, Lisa, if I'm remembering this correctly, you either texted, texted me immediately tweeted something to me or emailed me. I can't remember the the form of communication, but I know you reached out to me and you said you must listen to this. And of course, when Lisa sends me something, I definitely listen. So then it led to, I think, Brianne, I I pushed it to you and we got the book um, and we all read the book, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And as we were reading it and talking about it, we all, and this really all happened through email and text, (laughs) we decided we must chat about this together. Um, There really are so many great nuggets of wisdom in this book, and I'm super excited to start unpacking the ideas with both of you. So we're going to play it by ear in terms of the plan. We're hoping that this uh, this conversation will be the first of a couple um, that Lisa is going to offer us some strategies and things to think about and to give you guys some ideas. So uh, before we jump into the conversation, I do want to sort of officially reintroduce Lisa. 
give her some props. So Lisa is in the Woodland, Texas area. So that's the northern part of Houston for folks like me who know nothing about Texas and have only visited Texas twice now. Um, in, in Houston or north of Houston, she is a living health instructor for the Greater Houston YMCA. She earned a bachelor's in education and, as I said earlier, is a current doctoral student at Johns Hopkins. Um, her professional interests are a mix, which I love, really interdisciplinary. It's a combination of music and movement, so art and dance. She is a singer, a songwriter. Um, she, what is your, your Twitter handle, Lisa? It's Girl Friday Music and Movement. Yeah, I would definitely check that out and start following her because she drops a few tunes now and again. So if you're interested in hearing her music, please check it out. Um, her research is specifically focused on how movement affects emotion, cognition, mood, and brain health. And the dissertation work, which I'm so excited to see to continue to evolve, is this integration of mind and brain health in group exercise settings. So Lisa, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me. It, it's very exciting. And it's funny when I started the program, um, you know, talking about connecting movement to mental health, even talking about mental health just wasn't on the radar like mm -hmm. it is right now. I yeah. didn't have uh, many obvious existential issues that are yeah. at hand. And so this is um, actually, I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing, but it's a perfect time for my research because it's just, it's, it's so important right now. Yeah, it really is. And that's, that's part of the reason why we wanted to, to have you on. Um, it is, you know, it's, un, it's sort of a, you know, double-edged sword, right? It's like, we were talking with uh, Dr. Kristen Barber about a week ago, and we were talking about sort these similar things and saying how the pandemic really forced us into a corner that we had to start thinking about our mental health for lots of different reasons. So, and Brianne, I'm, I'm talking a lot. I apologize, but welcome back as well. It's good to, good to see you. And I'm looking forward to hearing. We haven't, I think on purpose, you and I haven't talked too much about the book offline so that we could really have a first conversation together, which will be fun. So, so let's go ahead and, and get started. Um, I don't know that there's any easy place to start with a book that's so full of nuggets, um, but one place I wanted to start, I guess I should say, and I'm curious to hear what both of you ladies have to say, this book really seems to have been written for women, right? I mean, that seems to be their, their, their take. Um, I would argue in the pandemic that there's application across for, for, for men and women, um, kids and adults alike. Uh, and so, but one thing they do say um, really early in the book that I find really interesting is what is expected of women and what's really, what it's really like to exist as a woman in the world are two different things. And we exhaust ourselves trying to close the gap. And so I would love just to start the conversation there and get your thoughts, reactions to that. So Brienne, do you wanna take this or? You can go ahead, Lisa. Well, I think what I, what I have witnessed around is that um, what happened is now, we, you know, we've heard of second shift where working mothers come home and there's, you know, there's more work to be done, but you know, now there's a third shift with the, the pandemic and uh, women are leaving the workforce in droves simply because there's so much to be done, you know, at home, there's a lot of invisible work that uh, that's handled a lot by women. And I think 
that uh, both that Dr. Nagoski talk about the human giver syndrome, mm-hmm. and uh, they bring up the work of moral philosopher Kate Mann and, um, about you know the two systems of human beings versus human givers, and many times women do find themselves in the human giver position. So their role in life is to make sure that everyone else can be. So I do think that um, chronic stress is is hitting everyone for sure, but I do think that women, and especially um, if they're caregivers, and that, mm-hmm. that might be children that they're educating at home right now, or um, I, I have a lot of friends who are also caregivers for parents or mm-hmm. aging, aging parents or um, people with special needs in the community. So I, I think that this adds, this human caregiver syndrome adds to this constant state of stress and, um, you know, the social appropriateness of the right thing to do. Yeah. And sometimes that just really adds up and there's nowhere for that to go in, right. in the stress tunnel. So, which we'll talk about a little later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I totally agree. And when I appreciate that you use the term caregiver, because to me, caregiver sort of is gender neutral in my mind, right? So this could be, especially if it's, I mean, I know typically women are taking on more and they've even said in the pandemic that that's happening. But if you're also talking about elderly parents, I mean, it could be both spouses. It could be, you know, if, if it's a same sex couple, we don't, you know, we don't know the gender. So, um, so I like the idea of caregiver. And the thing that I kept honing in on was because I feel like we've talked about this brand in other episodes is what's expected and what the reality is, right? And like sometimes we just work so hard to reach those, and I have air quotes up, those expectations and it's exhausting, right? Um, and so thinking about that exhaustion in early in the book, and I'm probably not going to pronounce this person's name correctly, but um, Freudenberger, maybe close. I don't know. 1970. Okay, <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> in 1975, this exhaustion, right? This this attempt, all the energy we use to try to meet those expectations. Um, he talks about burnout, and burnout includes emotional exhaustion. This idea of fatigue from caring too much. Um, depersonalization often happens because as you are exhausted, it just depletes your ability to empathize. And this decreased sense of accomplishment, which is as you're trying to sort of climb up that mountain or whatever your metaphor of choice is, you just feel like nothing you're doing is making a difference. And I don't know about you ladies, but I have often felt that way (laughs) during this pandemic. So I think there is, there is a realness to maybe a pandemic burnout and, and, and Brianne, I was hoping um, that you could sort of, you know, it's always good to sort of, and I'll geek out for a second, operationalize some of these terms that we're going to talk about. And one of those important terms is stress, right? And I know you've done some work around stress and would love for you to sort of just give some background and insight. Sure. Yeah. Um, I do want to just comment on that decreased sense of accomplishment. I think with, and especially the second part where you said, you know, that really means that nothing you do makes a difference. I felt that so strongly with all the events in the Capitol, mm-hmm. like you're watching it and you just feel kind of powerless. Um, so of course the pandemic, and then even more recently that, um, I felt like that phrase really characterized it nicely. So yeah, uh, Carrie was talking about the history of stress and I was like, yes, I have about 300 pages <laughs> written and bound on that. We can, we can discuss, but we will not uh, go into that much detail. 
It is kind of neat though, because, you know, Lisa was saying, this is such a great time to be researching stress and she's right. And I just, you know, kind of did it myself, but it's been actually going on for a long time. Like the, the origins of stress research, I think at least from what I found came in the, in the early 1900s. So this has been around for a while. Um, and researchers like Cannon and then Lazarus ultimately borrowed from physics, which is a field that scares me a bit. It's so far <laughs> from what I'm comfortable with, uh, but I do understand this definition. It's quote, an external load or demand on a biological, social, or psychological system. Mm. So essentially when we perceive that the demands placed on us exceed what we can manage, and that could be what we can manage physically or cognitively, then those symptoms of stress emerge. And I think we all can relate to that right now. Um, so many demands and we don't necessarily have the time or the kind of mental and physical space, even the physical space these days to, to meet those demands with homeschooling and, and such. So doctors, Emily and Amelia Nagoski, I love the book because they talk about that. I mean, they take that idea and they, and they place it in, in kind of today. And they talk about symptoms like poor sleep and eating habits and anxiety and depression. And those are things that I looked at in my students with my dissertation work, and they are very real. And those things affect people, you know, day in and day out. And it's not just that it's having trouble sleeping or feeling anxious or depressed. It's that those things then impact students' ability to learn because, you know, and Lisa can speak to this in much more detail um, than I can, but we are really wired to be able to handle stress. That's, that's part of our existence. No one lives on a white sandy beach 365 days a year. Like that's, that's not reality. And biologically, we're supposed to be able to handle stressful situations. And that's fine because typically you're in a stressful state and then you kind of return to a more balanced state and, and there's that homeostasis. The problem comes when we sit in that, in that stressed state for too long and that becomes the norm and habituated that's not a healthy place to be. And I think that's where a lot of us are now. And um, that's really not how we're intended to, to act, right? We're not supposed to linger in what we call that sympathetic nervous system state. So when our bodies perceive threat or um, averting a threat becomes our focus, we then can't focus on other things like in our context, learning, you know, because to learn something hard and new, it really means kind of unlearning something you knew before, adding some new knowledge in there, it's pretty complex neurologically. And you can't do that if you're really worried about an imminent threat. Mm -hmm. You can't um, do those things together. So one of the things that I really liked about how, I'm just gonna call them by their first names because I feel like we're there, Emily and yeah. Amelia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what they said in their book and, and on the podcast is they really distinguish the stressor from the stress. Mm. And I love that. And for me, it, it helped me to sort of contextualize my response to the violence in DC. So the stressor, you know, I can't do anything about that. We just talked about how that's hard. What I could have done better was manage the stress. I could have done the things that I know for me work, like gone for a run, gone on the Peloton, um, done a workout. I mean, really it's physical activity for me works. And I think, you know, that they say that does work for most people. I didn't really do that. Instead, I lingered in front of the TV and checked every news outlet that I could mm -hmm. think of and just texted my friends about how horrible it was. And I just felt more and more and more awful about everything. Um, so I think sometimes in the moment, even if you know what to do, it's hard to do it. But this, this concept is of distinguishing the stress from the stressor, I think is a great part of their book. And hopefully we'll dig into that a little bit more. 
Yeah, I was wondering, so this is interesting, and, and either Lisa and or Brand can respond to this, um, this idea of a definition, so this external load on a system. So mm -hmm. are you saying, and Lisa, what do you think? It sounds like, is there good stress, is there sort of good stress and bad stress? Like, is can we, I mean, let's, we got to break it down for someone like me who doesn't do research on stress. Like, let's talk really simply. Um, can I think of it that way? Yes, for sure. And actually, some people call it eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, because it's the kind of thing that makes you sharp when you're getting ready to perhaps uh, deliver a podcast <laughs> <laughs> or a presentation or, you know, get ready to play that big tennis match or whatever, you know, where you're, you know, game on sort mm -hmm. of thing. So there, definitely stress is a human evolutionary chip that we have, that's, that's a good thing. We, we know that we need to run away from that lion, right? And yeah. in modern day, the stress can be very motivating, but when it outpaces the resources you have to drain it off, and, and both Emily and Amelia talked about this, it accumulates. And so you've just got a whole lot of um, toxic emotion that's just being pent up and has nowhere to go, but definitely, Stress is, uh, it's an important part of life. And, and Brianna, as you said, I mean, who lives on the white sandy beach, you know? I mean, every day we, we need to accept and sort of lean into the fact that stress is, it's a part of life and, and some of it's very good in this doctoral program, right? To have that little edge, that little something that motivates you and keeps you going. It's the whole imbalance, right? And we hear balance about balance all the time. And Brianna, this is interesting. You brought this up how you know, you, you knew your, your head was telling you, your conscious was telling you that, you know, I'm seeing this violence in the capital. I know what I need to do. I need to burn, I need to burn this off. I need to move around and all, but you were drawn to, of course, sit and watch, you know, it, it was mortifying and, but there's an evolutionary chip built in there as well. And Dr. Daniel Lieberman and Herman Ponser do some interesting evolutionary biology work on that you know, we need to cut ourselves some slack because we are actually designed as hunter-gatherers to conserve energy because there was a time there was no grocery store. There was no <laughs> big box Costco, we yeah. had, you know, instant access to anything, any amount of energy that we wanted. So our minds have outpaced our bodies. And that's really kind of the interesting thing mm -hmm. to think about uh, in this journey is that we have the brilliance of the human mind to adapt and to create these new innovations and ideas have built in some sedentariness built that that also is a work aligning with our evolutionary desire to sit on the couch <laughs> you know because our subconscious is telling us you know sit relax this is going to make you feel better and that's not necessarily the case it's it seems counterintuitive but we have to drain off the stress or else it, it, when we see it, once it's pent up, right, then it's a pressure cooker. And we've watched, we've looked all around us to watch how that stress in different human beings has, has manifested. Well, I so guess I want to ask you, cause that's sort of where, and again, you're talking to someone who doesn't study stress. So let's keep that in mind. Right. So, so there's good stress and bad stress. I can, I can grab those two terms and think about what that might look like for me. So the question I have is, 
like we don't want to get to a pressure cooker state. Like we'd really like to do things to prevent that. And I know we're going to talk about the the Emily and Amelia talk about why sometimes we get stuck. And then I know Lisa, you're going to give us some strategies on how to sort of overcome that. But before we get there, I really want to make sure I understand and our, our listeners understand, you know, how do I know when I'm close to being there? Cause like Brianne, you brought up the Peloton, which I got for Christmas as well, or the holidays as well. And I freaking love it. <laughs> and there's stress when you're riding the Peloton, right? Like I come up that second interval or the very last interval and I'm like killing myself and I'm like scared to death. I'm she's going to make me turn it up one more notch and I'm not going to be able to do it. Well, that's stress. Yes. But how do I know like that's not bad stress, but it, it, it's scary stress because I don't know I can do it. Right. But like, so how do I determine for myself that I'm approaching a place where I can't take any more in, like that I do need to like slough it off or whatever the appropriate term is. Right. Do you guys understand what I'm asking? Like, how do I know when I'm close to being at that point? Well, uh, Brianne, do you want to take this one? Nope. All you. <laughs> <laughs> Exercise is indeed a controlled stress because yeah. you are have you know you are you are building muscle contractions in the body. But here's the difference: there's agency, and that's one of the things that research mm. also uncovers is that people, when it comes to exercising or movement of the body, that um, people want to feel a sense of agency. They mm. want to feel a sense of control and um and it needs to be something they enjoy Mm -hmm. right so if you enjoy that run or that peloton you're controlling the anxiety and you also know afterwards how you're going to feel Mm -hmm. because experienced it so you're you're one of the lucky ones (laughs) who who has gotten to that point where it's sort of like you told us in the program this this doctoral program at hopkins trusting the process so you understand that you're going to, to expend this energy, you're going to be in this state of sort of a, a self-induced anxiety, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, and, and afterwards, you're going to, if, if there's enough mindfulness placed at the end of a workout, and this is something that I've been uh, interested in doing in my intervention is talking to people afterwards and understanding how, how people do get to that place where they they come to a state of mindfulness, which is just a fancy word, right? For paying attention, mm-hmm. it's paying attention to the moment. What is in the moment? How did you feel before you started this? And how do you feel now? And so, you know, just anecdotally from having worked in the industry for a while, I, I hear people coming in saying, you know, oh my gosh, I was a bear, I was a beast. I, you know, and now I just feel so good. So mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like a body. If, if you become in tune with, for instance, how you feel after you eat, right? Mm-hmm. You are sated. You feel, I-, I was hungry before, I've had something to eat, and now I'm aware that I feel right. I feel yeah. better. So it's it's an interesting sort of post-exercise sort of draining feeling, but it is, it, it's a release of this, um, this stuck, lots of stuck emotion. So, yeah, and I like that. I like the idea. Um, I, I appreciate that you said paying attention is, is really another way to think about mindfulness. Cause I think sometimes when we say mindfulness, people go, Oh, I, I can't meditate. I can't do that work. Right. So just paying attention. And so the methodologist in me wants to know more, right. Lisa and Brian, which is 
Okay. I know that I'm probably in a state of good stress if, if I feel like I have some agency, some control, some enjoyment. What are the things I'm going to be, if I'm paying attention to myself or others around me, like my own kids, for example, what are the sort of nuggets of evidence that I might find that are, will help me understand that I'm in a state of bad stress or approaching bad stress? Well, I guess I would think of good stress first. So when you were talking, um, I was thinking the word that came to mind is that attunement. So when you're like attuned with yourself and your environment and your children, and you're just kind of in a groove and it's not like mm -hmm. white sandy beach bliss. It's just things are good and you feel okay. And, you know, kind of the next things on your plate feel like they're manageable. I mean, I think it's that external word in the definition of stress, um, that that's a, a hard piece. So when things are feel like they're like crashing in mm -hmm. and they're so big and they're bigger than like Lisa had said, the tools that you have. Um, and when you, you feel like you're losing that attunement, mm -hmm. that I would say is, is a sign yeah. um, that you're heading in that, in that other direction. Yeah, that's good. And I think Lisa, I re I'm reminded of you talking earlier about sort of balance, right? And I, I was listening to um, a podcast the other day and someone was talking about um, that she doesn't really love the word balance because we're always sort of, we're not always in balance or striving for balance that she likes the word harmony better, this sort of integration. And so what you're describing, Brianne, to me sounds a little bit like harmony, like you're in a groove, you're feeling good. It's not that it's no stress. It's just, you're in a rhythm. So I kind of, yeah. I mean, that music background, Lisa, maybe that speaks to you a little bit, this idea of harmony. So I don't know. Um, and bodies are very rhythmic. We follow circadian rhythms night mm. and day. And uh, one of the, as you know, to appeal to your methodologist, uh, sensibilities, you know, I mean, we can't do this if we aren't in a lab, but you can actually measure, you know, galvanic skin responses and that sort of a thing. But just in the main, one of the things that I talk about with the ladies that I work with, um, you can check in with your breath. Your breath is usually mm. Amazing determinant. So the, I love to use imagery. And so one of the things that I, I, I ask them is that, do you feel like you're sipping the air? Are you taking sips Ooh. of the air? Or are you finding the rib cage in a three-dimensional, you know, sometimes we, in Pilates, we call it east-west breathing, but really it's, it's three-dimensional where the whole, you know, can't see my hands, but the barrel of the rib cage and my favorite toy to use, which again, the podcast listeners can't see this, but it's just one of those Oberman globes where, you know, thinking of the rib cage expanding and then contracting with the breath. My kids call that a breathing ball. They have one. They love it. <laughs> An amazing cue to just think about it, but where the air is falling in your body, sometimes if it's just getting stuck right there and, you know, behind the clavicle, um, you can tell that you're, you're maybe not in a place where you're fully at peace or at mm. calmly feeling like you're handling whatever situation you're in. So, and the funny thing about checking in with the breath is it's, it's almost a, a like the test and the fix <laughs> the intervention at the same time. Yeah. If, once you're, you pay attention and, and, you know, getting back to mindfulness, I think we have complicated a lot of things when it comes to handling uh, stress or, you know, mindfulness, meditation, 
it doesn't mean, you know, running off to Tibet, that'd be great, <laughs> you know, if we could do this, but, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to be in this house all day long, working <laughs> on there's no Tibet for me, so, uh, <laughs> so just a little hacks that we, there are such simple things that we can do that we'll talk about a little bit later, yeah. that just are in the moment, free, accessible, right when you're in your living room watching the TV or, um, you know, because it would be great. I know we talk about, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, talking to therapists, and it's wonderful. It's great. And we talk about checking in with our doctors, you know, that's also wonderful and great. But what about the people who don't have access to that? Yeah. What, you know, so, so we need to, if, until we can change systems, we simultaneously need to be also empowering people giving them the agency to be able to handle these things, you know, without medications. And, and again, this is not me saying, you know, medications aren't good. Right, right. Place. It's just like, what can we do right now today in the moment with no resources, but our bodies? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, well, I, mean, I would agree. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. No, no, well, no. I was just going to, um, I was just going to say that, you know, of course, if you have the need for and the access to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, that that's wonderful. Not everybody needs that level of care all the time. I think a lot of us are stressed to a place that's not great um, in our daily lives. That doesn't necessarily mean that we need that level of care. And I had done a little bit of work with um, the stepped care model, which basically means give people the least amount, sort of the least intensive and most effective level of treatment. So for the context of my students, that could mean that maybe it's me as a faculty member organizing an evening about like graduate school stress. Let's get together and talk about it. That might scratch the itch for some students. That might be great. And then maybe we do that regularly. Other students may not respond to that. Other students may need a more one-on-one -on -one approach or they may need skilled services from a mental health professional. So I think that these skills that you're gonna talk about, Lisa, are relevant to everybody. Um, people who are seeking other levels of service and the majority of people who aren't, but who live in this world, right? And they live in a world where currently there's a pandemic and there's a lot of political unrest. And frankly, even in the absence of those things, because when I started my program at Hopkins, neither of those things were, um, you know, as well, there was no pandemic and the political unrest was not as evident as it is this, this month, um, but I was still super stressed and yeah. still would have benefited from from these strategies. So I think I, I love that you just brought up the fact that we have to look at this individually because it, we are not one size fits all. Not only are we individually not one size fits all, but day to day, you know, our needs change. Um, so, and, and situations change, hormones change, everything changes on a daily basis. And so you're so right. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot, of, a whole lot of points between you know, not needing anything at all and needing very extreme, you know, psychiatric care. And the large majority um, of depression cases kind of come in and out where it's mild or it's uh, just um, situational and, and it can pass, but it can still, you know, ha cause, um, you know, extra psychological harm and bodily harm. It changes, you talked about learning you know, when our body, when our brains go into that fight or flight and our limbic system takes over, you know, it, it shunts the blood, you know, we need all hands on deck resources to, you know, cortical resources to just to handle those stressors. And so 
you know, children who are very stressed out, they are not going to learn, which is why I love that Dr. Hardiman's, you know, first uh, target in the brain targeted uh, teaching framework is the emotional target that, you know, is everybody okay? <laughs> and then we can move on. And if everybody's not okay, what can we do to yeah. help? you know, to, and to do, do what we can to at least try. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, the reason I, I think one of the many reasons we wanted to have this conversation is I keep going back. I have circled several times paying attention, right. That being able to advocate for yourself and know when it is that you need to just breathe and sip the air, which I love that idea and be more attuned to what's going on. And then maybe there are times when you do need to call on a therapist, but being knowing there are multiple strategies, different sort of steps to the process. So in the book, um, Emily and Amelia speak about completing this stress cycle and they talk um, pretty in depth about this idea that we get stuck, you know, that um, for lots of different reasons, they include things like chronic stress, where the pandemic could be an example of that, right? It just continues on and on and on. And there's nothing we can't sort of remove that because it's just always there, right? It just hasn't subsided. Um, they also speak about this idea of social appropriateness, which I kind of laughed at, but it does make sense. So if you're they, you know, if you're on a Zoom session or you're in a meeting where you can't you know, it's just not appropriate to, as Brian, as Brene Brown tells us, like you can't sort of dump everything that you're thinking about, like on the the boardroom table at that moment. Um, some for some people, some individuals, um, you can't complete the cycle because there's a safety issue. You're just not in a place that's safe, and so you unfortunately have to endure that till you get someplace. And then they also talk about this notion of freezing, and. We can come back to those things in a later episode if we feel like it's it's important. But really, Lisa, I wanted to spend our remaining time together, you know, sort of building on what you, where you started with this breath, because the sisters also talk about breathing as a strategy. And I'm really hoping that you can talk a little bit about when we say completing the cycle, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? And then can you give us, you know, speaking of multi-pronged approaches, can you give us a couple of different strategies that our listeners and Brianna and myself could actually, you know, like you said, without many resources could implement today, like after this, after they listen to the podcast, that would be great. Sure. Well, I, you know, the, I love their metaphor of the tunnel. That's why I was actually running. Yeah. I heard that. that <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm taking a break to send her a message. Um, because it's just, I, I'm, I'm a useful person, right? I love for things to be utilitarian and I mm -hmm. like there to be actionable strategies. It's all, it's great to philosophize. It's great to theorize and we need to build thing, you know, everything on, on important theories, but it's great when we have these evidence-based actionable strategies that, that can work and that are approachable and that you don't need a gym membership, which, you know, I don't want to speak against people who are <laughs> friends gym membership. Gyms are wonderful, but that's kind of the choir, right? So there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that are in the choir loft right now. And, and, and it could be that it's resources that they can afford it or just, you know, it, Hey, most of the gyms are shut down right now because of the pandemic. So lots going on. Um, so, you know, if we think of beginning, middle, end, beginning is, you know, something has happened in your environment or, you know, with your own health or health of a family member. So internal, external stressors um, and you can't do anything about it. 
right? So you're in the middle of the tunnel there, you're feeling the feels, you're feeling the stress, whether it's your heart rate, you're sipping air, you're snapping at your children, you're, you know, all kinds of things are, are happening. And then, but it's, so you're, you're looking for the end. Well, where do you go with all that energy that's been pent up? So the very first thing, and this is the, uh, Emily and Amelia said this, and my research is bearing this out, physical activity, Mm. any literally any movement of your body right now on this podcast we could stand up and wiggle ourselves we could if it's a ball and socket joint like you you know it's where your femurs attached to your hips or your your shoulders i mean wiggling it out and to that end i think this is going to sound ridiculous but dancing it out you're in your home nobody's looking right <laughs> so you put your favorite song on and you know between this and the next meeting you dance it out. It, it is a physical, the, the research just backs why that's so good. And of course, that's, that's a whole other, that, that's a whole dissertation right there. Absolutely. Anybody watch Grey's Anatomy? They dance it out when they have a stressful moment. Dancing it out. Scott Barry Kaufman, I'm giving you a shout out. Uh, he's been dancing on Twitter and on his, he's found TikTok and he's been dancing his stress out and it's so contagious. And then what are we doing right here? You'll, you all can't see us, but we're laughing and we're yep. smiling, mm. just talking about dancing, which brings us to um, the positive social interaction. I think what's happening with the Twitter sphere and uh, the social media is that Again, I don't know that we, we've evolved enough to handle hearing so much conversation. Uh, these are almost like pseudo social interactions. And I think pulling in, so today you can call your best friend, you can text your best friend, your a sister, a brother, a mom, uh, um, just finding, creating that, that place where you're not going to talk about the things you don't want to talk about. And you know what, if you want to call it sticking your head in the sand for a few seconds, it's okay. Stick your head in the sand because the world is going to be there when you're finished with your positive <laughs> social interaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that's, so physical activity, positive social interaction. And to that end, your physical activity blended with positive social interaction. The research is also very strong mm. on this, that just like your relationships, you have significant others. You can have that in your movement world as well. So your walking buddy, your person that holds you accountable. Maybe if you do take classes, that person that if you don't show up, they're going to be like, hey, I, what, you know? So um, yes, finding those, your crowd, your people that you can, um, can interact with physically to, to let out some of this energy. Um, the breathing is the gentlest way that uh, Amelia and uh, Emily talked about this. It's, it's your go-to right now, sitting in a chair, if you're in the boardroom, if you're in the classroom, if you are a student, if you are a teacher, it down-regulates the nervous system and slower is better. Again, we get hung up on, oh, try this, you know, five seconds in and hold the breath for five seconds. I'm not a fan of holding the breath for mm. different biological reasons. Um, but the slow breath in through the nose, because there's also some interesting research on why that causes certain brain oscillations if it comes in through the nose. And I say the exhale also, there's some research on the what in yoga they call sometimes the Ujjayi breath or the warming breath. And basically the way I cue my participants to breathe like you're going to fog up a window or a mirror or you're sighing. So it's it's an audible breath and it has a little friction to it. So like this. 
it takes tension out of the face. A lot of people will breathe with their lips pursed, which will put more tension in the mask. So accruing <laughs> more tension there. So, um, you know, while you're breathing also getting back into the body, making that mind body connection is um, keeping it physical and keeping it focused on the physical because you have the mental stressors, right? So we're saying that there's a difference between the stressors and the stress. So focus on the actual physicality. What are you feeling mm. while breathing? What are you feel? Where is the air falling? What's happening with your rib cage? And, and focus on the physicality. And that in and itself becomes very meditative. So again, no need for the Tibetan monks or <laughs> right here. And it's funny because it sounds too easy. And usually things that sound yeah. too true are too good to be true. But I, I encourage everybody to go get on your Google or Google Scholar. There is so much that where science is backing up sort of the stuff that was intuitive. But now we have evidence to say why this is happening. So if you like all the sciencey stuff, there, there are reasons and the, the way the, the hormones are changing in the body when this happens. So it is a very physical thing. Laughter. I, you know, and not the social lubricant pleasantries that, that Emily and Amelia were talking about, but, uh, you know, these <laughs> deep laughter, again, it's very physical mm -hmm. and it strengthens social bonds, you know, the release of oxytocin, the social bonding hormone. So that's something right now you could create an opportunity in your day to day, whether it's to watch a funny movie or a sitcom or uh, call a friend that, you know, just has you in stitches all the time to create some laughter. Yeah, the cry. I have to say, Lisa, the crying into laughter is some of the best. Oh laughter. Like when you're able to come out of that moment and find some humor yeah. in whatever situation, I feel like I can. It feels, and I know this sounds dramatic. It really does feel cathartic. Like I feel like something is lifted from my body when that that happens, um, for sure. So the big old cry, and it's Absolutely. and again, that's very. It's hormonal, like other you know, release processes. I will just leave it at that. But, yeah. um, you know, where you, there's a physical difference and you feel very calm. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, of course, you know, affection sound, surrounding yourself with people that you trust, a hugging, uh, kissing if, if it's an appropriate situation, <laughs> <laughs> petting a cat, a dog. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, one of my favorites uh, is creative expression, taking mm -hmm. inside of you, putting it outside of you, um, taking, you know, I loved that Amelia and Emily talked about how matter can neither be created or just, nor destroyed. So you're taking that that's inside of you and repurposing it into something um, like the Carrie Fisher quote, take your broken heart and make it into art, um, using imagery to go through the cycles. So these are all really physical things, but my favorite and the one that of course I've researched the most is the physical activity, mm -hmm. um, movement, a walk, anything, jump, jump up and down, uh, you know, <clears throat> march in place and just anything that feels good. And it's important to come back though, to the research that shows that the, the huge factor in any kind of movement adherence is enjoyment agency and and social connection is also yeah. very important in that. Yeah, and these are all, I mean, these are all great strategies, I think. connection can also be, you know, within your family, each, each of you supporting mm. 
the uh, importance, the significance of your well-being, right? Yeah. And so uh, that social connection of like, you know, I honor you or I honor that you need this uh, in, in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. These are, I mean, these are amazing. I've been taking furious notes. Luckily this thing is recorded so I can listen to it later. <laughs> um, but I love, I have to say, I appreciated your honesty about the breathing, Lisa, the, the not holding your breath one. Cause I feel like I've tried that on a number of occasions and I just feel like I'm going to, I feel like I'm worried, more worried about that. I'm going to pass out than I'm actually <laughs> like, you know? There's a whole maneuver, it's called the Valsalva maneuver and, you know, holding the breath can, can change the heart regulations. And yeah. again, there's more sciencey stuff on this, but the, the main thing is that I, I've not seen the, any research to really support why holding the breath, unless you're swimming and underwater. I mean, yeah. obviously there <laughs> to hold the breath, but um, so, you know, I, I, I will say that's not an area I've researched a lot in terms of yeah. breath holding, but most of the breathing that I've seen, the, the research is just slowing it and deepening it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and to that end, I think experimentation with all of these things that we just talked about is so important. Try different things, mix and match. Notice what works. Again, back to the mindfulness or paying attention. What works for you? Yeah. It might not work for your your partner. It might not work for your kids. It might not work for anyone else in the whole wide world. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you need to experiment. And I, I also, I keep going back to what you said earlier, which is um, don't overcomplicate it, right? Like yes. just keeping it simple. And I just love, you've said so many good things today, you know, paying attention. So paying attention to your breath, not worrying so much about, am I doing it the way you know, it says on this, this website or in this magazine or the Tibetan monks is, am I paying attention to me? And am I feeling, you know, better about it? Um, so I think that's really, I don't know. I just love that, that, I mean, I think Brianne, this works so well aligns with the work that we do with building communities and trusting process, because it's really trying to get individuals and groups to pay attention, to notice, right. To Nate, we always talk about naming, noticing and naming. And I think that, the, the work of, of completing this cycle of stress really begins with noticing and naming and paying attention, right? And if it's chronic stress, then you name it and then you try to adopt some of these, these great strategies. And I would encourage our listeners to think about physical activity, laughing. I love, Lisa, this combination of physical activity with the social interaction. I mean, I know it's a little bit harder in the pandemic, but I see people walking together with masks on or running you know, appropriately distance. I think you can still bike riding. Um, you can still, you can still do it. So don't use the social distancing as an excuse. And then of course the breathing, that's something we can be doing, you know, while I was actually, I don't know if you could hear it on my microphone, <laughs> but when Lisa would say something, I was like practicing different breathing techniques. <laughs> so you can do it in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> I know these are all, it's so cool. Really. It's empowering to think about it. That if we reframe that, you know, stress is not the problem. It's it's our strategies yeah. dealing with it, and that uh, they have almost no relationship to the strategies that deal with the physiological reactions. So if we can just kind of focus on those physiological reactions that our bodies need to have to deal with it, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not saying we'll live in a perpetual state of safety and calm. You know, yeah. there's Pollyanna about it, but really. 
I like to think of it like a dance, right? So you kind of move fluidly from you know, adversity to risk to adventure to excitement back to safety and calm. And but just knowing that you have some tools and you don't need to sit back and wait for the systems to change. Yeah. Because, you know, we all know that systems are a bit like Titanic's, right? It takes a lot of work. And while that work is being done, we, we can keep ourselves healthy and there's definitely a mind body connection and it's not foo-foo. It's not pie in the sky. It's not, you know, just theoretical. It's evidence-based. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think encourage people to, uh, to, to, to look this up because it, it, it's very empowering to know that you have the tools right there right now to help yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, this is a good place to hit the pause button. I'm saying pause, not wrap it up because I think there's more to, to discuss. I put in my notes that something I would love to talk in a future episode about is the monitor. They talk a lot about the monitor in the book. And I think that has a lot of connections to paying attention and reflection. And so I think we could come back to that. Um, so I'm going to thank Lisa. It's been so great to talk with you and to see you. Um, Brianne, it's always a pleasure to, to have these conversations with you. And I'm going to close by saying that um, I think the three of us would definitely acknowledge that the stressors that we are experiencing, whether it's the pandemic and or the capital siege and other things that are happening, they vary and they're d- diverse um, for all different people and individuals. And as Lisa pointed out, sometimes it's harder to get away from a stressor um, than others. And some folks like myself, and I acknowledge that I have some privilege that permits me to move away from stressors that others cannot. And I do think that as we as we work really hard to repair and rebuild some of our systemic problems and um, build belonging and community for marginalized groups. I think that, you know, thinking about strategies to combat stress is one small piece of this puzzle. And so um, this is why we do this work. And this is why I feel so lucky to be able to speak to these really smart ladies and learn all about stress and stressors. So Thanks to everybody for listening. This has been Tell Me This, episode 13, as we continue to heal as we move through this pandemic. And please stay safe, stay healthy, and I know it's not that comfortable all the time, but practice your breathing while you wear your mask. <laughs> all right, everybody, take care. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.